Amen. Well, Psalm 100 this morning, as we look here and we think of all the goodness of God upon our lives, the Psalms are uh, a book of hymns, really. It's Israel's songbook, and most of us are aware of that. But it's interesting when you stop and reflect at how much emotion is in the psalm. You see virtually everything conceivable demonstrated at one point or another uh, throughout these 150 psalms. Uh, that God gives us. You see a lot of things expressed. You see in many of them fear. Uh, David oftentimes is, is expressing his fear of what's unknown and the attacks of his enemies. Uh, you see anger expressed. You see uh, uh, reminders expressed of where God has brought them from and how God has worked in their lives. You see uh, God reminding them through the different uh, writers of the psalm that uh, that they've been through a lot and that life is hard. Uh, they are commended at times to fear God. That's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Uh, they are told to pray to God and to the importance of the Word of God. And all of the longest chapter in the Bible is Psalm 119. It's dedicated uh, almost entirely to just the Word of God and its importance and its prominence. And, uh, and it's, an amazing, it's an amazing passage. Uh, but the thing about this psalm here is this psalm is just, it's all joyous. There's nothing negative here. There's not any hardship discussed. There's not, uh, there's not any burdens that are being uh, laid off at God's altar. Uh, it's just joy. And so as we enter this week, there's some things about uh, this psalm that I think will help us to just kind of focus our attention. You know, sometimes it's easy uh, to get caught up in the world around us and our and our busy the busyness of the season. And I don't know about you, but it seems like um, about mid-November, and this year maybe even a little earlier, it just really gets a lot more hectic and busy in the schedule. Uh, there are a lot more events to attend, to be planned. There's a lot more work uh, outreach-wise to be done uh, as a church. And it seems like from now until we start to get about a week or two into January, it's just, uh, it's just a, a, a rush. Uh, there's so much going on, and sometimes it can be hard uh, to stop back and really just enjoy the season and to just observe everything that's going on. Uh, and, and we need to do that this week. We need to stop and reflect. And while we rush to travel to family or rush uh, to get our homes ready to receive family, uh, whichever end of the spectrum we're at on that for the holiday time, uh, we need to not forget that this is more than about uh, just time with family, and it's more than it's, it's about more than just an extra couple of days off of work. Uh, it's about offering thanks to the one who has provided everything for us. Uh, and so, from its early foundations at Thanksgiving in our uh, nation and other nations that celebrate it, that acknowledge God and His power and His existence and His providence and our formation and our freedom and liberty. Uh, that in all of those things, we need to be ever mindful of the fact that we enjoy what we enjoy because of God. He gave us life. He gave us freedom. He gave us His Word. Uh, he has given us salvation. And we could go uh, on and on. And sometimes we uh, get through the, the in, just into the routine of what we do uh, and we stop to, uh, we fail to stop at times to, to just reflect on how good God has been to us. And so everything here is just joyous. And so this psalm, 
uh, is thought to have been a psalm that was sung uh, in on the way to the temple. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I preached from a psalm that was used at the beginning of the sacrifice uh, in the temple almost on a, on a daily basis. And then uh, again at the Feast of, I believe, Tabernacles. And here, this is a psalm that's believed to have been sung on the way. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's setting the tone for, as I'm on my way to worship, my heart, my attention, my mind, my focus should already be in a worshipful mode. Uh, so when I so when I walk in, uh, I shouldn't walk in uh, argumentative or all stressed out. I should walk in uh, with my sin confessed and with my heart filled with the joy of the Lord and say, Pastor, you don't know what I've gone through this week and uh, you don't know how difficult it's been this week. And, and, and I would just say this about that. It, it, notice what he says. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Do you notice what he didn't say? He didn't say, if you've had an awesome week, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Amen. He didn't say, if the bank account is full and overflowing, make a joyful noise. He, he didn't say, if your health is good and you've been feeling great, make a joyful noise. He said, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. It's it's there's something about just recognizing who God is and then communing with him and walking with him and fellowshipping with him that that causes us to find joy even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of sickness. Even in the midst of turmoil and say, well, pastor, I've been a Christian a long time or I've been coming around for a while and I, I really haven't figured that out yet. Well, if you'll get into the Lord's word and spend some time with the God's people, then uh, you'll learn that in time. That's part of the purpose of what we do at church and the fellowship that we have with one another and the teaching, the instruction, the discipleship and, and all the different things that we do is to help all of us be growing constantly in our walk with God. So so that we get to know him more. If I can't rejoice and have joy, even in the midst of adversity in my Savior, then the reality is, is that I just simply don't know him well enough yet. The, the problem is not that there's a problem with him. The problem is with me. Either I'm focused on my sin and I'm distracted and I've got my uh, attention uh, turned to the wrong thing, or I simply have not made the effort to get to know him yet. You know, a lot of times... Uh, you meet people that are very gregarious and it seems like they never meet a stranger and they can go up and it's like the minute that they meet you, it's a lifelong friend. Uh, and other people, it's a little bit more work. It's harder. It's more difficult. My personality is that way. Uh, I don't make friends easily. I don't engage in uh, long conversation easily. Uh, it, it's not something, it's not that I never meet someone that it's easy. Uh, but but by and large, I have to work at that. It's, it's not something that's just my natural uh, persona or personality. And the reality is, is that if I uh, have to work hard uh, at, at, at times to uh, to try to grow in that area, and my point is this, uh, listen, if, if you're struggling this morning uh, getting to know the Lord, if you're struggling uh, to feel like you fit in or struggling to feel like you're understanding what the Bible's saying when you read it, if you're, uh, if you're struggling letting go of the sin of your past and wondering how that's going to affect your future, uh, then, then the reality this morning is, and the best advice that I could give you is, put in the time and make the effort to get to know Jesus better. And when we do that, and when we see Him, who He is, and how He is, and everything that He's given us, then it becomes easier to just find joy in Him, even when things are tough. 
Listen, there's a difference between joy and happiness. I, I mean, I'm sick and, uh, and down or uh, I'm under attack and down or I've got all these different things that are going on. I might not be happy, but I can still have joy. I can stop and realize that all these things that I'm coping with are just temporary. Well, Pastor, what if the disease that you've been diagnosed with is terminal? Hey, listen, uh, if it's terminal, then that means that I'm going to be in the joy and the presence of the Lord all the sooner and praise God for it. Uh, and, and I understand that the anxiety and all of the things that come with uh, getting us all getting older and end of life. But the reality is for the Christian, it ought to be something that we are looking forward to with great anticipation. I understand we're not looking forward to the process. But the end of that, the reality of it is, is that when I leave this old carcass behind, I'm going to be in the presence of my Savior. Uh, and I can be joyous about that. I might not be happy about the infirmity. I may not be happy about uh, about the pain or the suffering or the uh, or the anxiety, but I can sure have joy in knowing that I'm going to be with him. And so when we look at this this morning, he says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. And what he's showing us here in these first couple of verses is is how. Uh, so he says, praise the Lord, make a joyful noise. Now, he's telling us here in these first couple of verses how. And, and I understand, well, Pastor, you just, uh, you know, uh, it's time to sing. You just uh, open up and let her fly. And the person in front of you will let you know whether it's a joyful noise or not. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of times that we walk around uh, and you hear somebody humming or whistling or singing and, uh, and they sound happy and it's joyful to them, but it's not so joyful to us. <laughs> but it's joyful to God. And when it's all said and done, if it's a, if it's coming from a sincere heart that loves the Lord, that's just the, taking knowledge of, of and recognizing who God is, and I just can't contain that, I've got to let it out, I might be persecuting the saints, but it's a, pleasure, it's a precious thing in the ears of God. And so just keep on doing it. Endure the criticism and the ridicule uh, and just praise the Lord. Uh, and so just praise him. And so see there, Brother Phil, I just gave you the green light to persecute everyone all throughout the week as you uh, do your duties here. Uh, everything uh, about the psalm is joyous. And so he's showing us how. He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Notice verse number two, serve the Lord with gladness. How do I make a joyful noise? Well, it starts with just serving the Lord with gladness. I can serve the Lord miserably or I can serve the Lord gladly. Uh, you know, I can I can sign up for something and say, okay, uh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and uh, and I mean well when I sign up. And then whenever it comes time to getting down to the uh, the dirty work of of doing what I've committed myself to do, I can come in begrudgingly. Oh man, I'll be glad when this is over. I can't wait until this is done. I can't believe I let myself get talked into this. I can't. Uh, or I can just come in and be joyous about it. I can decide I'm going to be happy to serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Are you glad uh, to have an opportunity to do something for the Lord? Are we glad to have an opportunity to spend time with God's people? Are we glad that we're able at times to open His Word and open our heart to it? So serve Him with gladness. And He says, enter into His presence with singing. There's just something about singing that makes all the difference. And you say, well, Pastor, I, I, I persecute myself when I sing. Uh, and so just sing anyway. Uh, because it, there's just something about singing praises to God that lifts our spirits. 
it causes us to get our eyes off of the troubles, our troubles and our problems and get our eyes on the goodness of our God. Uh, and so he tells us here, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing. I should never, uh, I, I should come before God's presence happily. I can, I can come in relishing my relationship with him while I bring my burdens to lay them down at his feet to entrust them into his care. I, I don't want to come in overwhelmed and distraught, uh, but when we are overwhelmed and distraught, it's because we've got our eyes off of him and onto self. Notice what he says in verse 3. He begins to tell us here why. Okay, so what he's telling us is, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. This is how you do it. Come into his presence with singing. But why should I do that? You know, and for a lot of folks to, to realize that they don't know the Lord's their Savior, or they've never, uh, that don't really know who God is other than just, uh, you know, an abstract thing in the uh, in their thought process. Now, I, here he tells us why. Why should we praise God? Why should we worship God? Why should we come before His presence uh, with singing? And notice what he says in verse 3. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. That's enough right there. We stop and we realize the magnitude of that one statement. That's enough to cause all of us, if we really understood it, to fall down before him in worship and praise and servitude. When we see God for who and what he is, our natural response would be to fall at his feet. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. How many times do we hear someone come around and say, well, I'm a self-made man. We're all made by God. He is our creator. Uh, we have uh, this planet that's perfectly aligned. And we went through that recently in another sermon uh, and, and gave some examples of how just a, things being slightly different. Uh, would make our planet uninhabitable. God, in His greatness and in His wisdom and in His uh, in His power, uh, has given us this place uh, on which to live. He did not just merely speak. You stop and think about this for a minute, uh, and this ought to bless your heart uh, and your soul to think that everything that God created, He spoke into existence except for man. Man, He formed out of the dust of the ground. I mean, the sun. He spoke, and there it was. The planets, He spoke, and there they were. Uh, the earth, He spoke, and here it is. The water, He spoke, and there it was. The division between the land and the sea, He spoke, and it happened. And the birds and the animals, the wildlife, He spoke, and there they were. But when it came to man, He knelt down. At least this is the way that I envision it. I, I realize this may not be exactly theologically uh, sound, but uh, when I picture this, I, I picture God uh, coming down and kneeling down in the garden and forming man in the dust. And then bending down as if to give mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation and breathing into man the breath of life. Now, I don't know that that's how he did it, but I do know that the way that he created us was special compared to the rest of creation. And I know that when he breathed into us, we became a living soul. And that sets us apart. And the scientific community would have you think that we're just the highest form of animal life. Uh, and that's a bunch of hogwash because no animal has a soul. The distinction between mankind and all of the rest of creation is that man has a living, eternal 
soul. This soul will live forever. I might have had a definitive beginning, but I have no end. The only thing that needs to be determined is where that eternal soul is going to exist after this life ends. And God's intention is for this soul to exist in his presence with him. He made and did everything possible to cause us to choose to accept the gift of forgiveness for sins and eternal life. And we can follow the way of the world and we can live in our sin and we can enjoy uh, and indulge in in the passions of this flesh. And we can spend an eternity because we've rejected Christ separated from him in an eternal lake of fire or we can turn to him in faith and receive his forgiveness and we can become a child of God that's our choice this morning and so he is God he is our creator notice what he says next know ye that he is that the Lord he is God it is he that hath made us and not we ourselves we are his people and the sheep of his pasture we're under his care. You understand this morning what we have to be thankful about is the fact that he is God. He's created us. We are his people. And as the sheep of his pasture, we are under his care. He leads us. He guides us. He provides for us. He protects us. He encourages us. He brings us and takes us to everything and to help us to live in the way that he would uh, be pleased so that we are under his protective care. Uh, that's the why. Then in verses 4 and 5, he tells us again how and why. Notice verse number 4. Enter to his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Now the word thanksgiving here is the Hebrew word uh, tadah, and it means this. Properly, it is an extension of the hand. That's what it means. Thankfulness. Thanksgiving. With thanksgiving means I come before God hand-raised praising him. Beyond that, it is an avowal. It is an open declaration, a frank acknowledgement, specifically a choir of worshipers. So what are we to be? We are to be, as God's people, coming into his presence as a choir of worshipers with uplifted hand, offering thanks and singing praise to our God. That's what the word thanksgiving means here. It comes from the root word uh, that is yadah, which means literally, again, to hold out the hand. And then it has a three part of its definition to give thanks, to confess the name of God. And so I am to come in confessing the name of God, praising the name of God, acknowledging the power of God putting myself under his care, realizing his goodness and his greatness. And the third part is this, and it still has to do with confession, but now it's talking about the confession of sin. So I am to come into his presence, confessing his greatness and confessing my sin. That's thanksgiving. I cannot express properly thanksgiving to my God if I do not come before him acknowledging who he is, and acknowledging what I'm not, and then acknowledging what he's done in my life to mold me into the image of his son. So thanksgiving must come from a pure heart, acknowledging God's place of authority and expressing gratitude for everything that God does for me. That's what thanksgiving is by definition. And so when we have Thanksgiving Day, what are we doing? We're coming to God with a pure heart. 
It's not an, an insincere thanks. It's not an insincere gratitude. It's not a going through the motions of a holiday. It is a sincere pouring out of gratitude with a heart that is pure, sin confessed, acknowledging that God is my authority and that God is my provider and my protector and I'm expressing to Him gratitude for everything that He's done for me. Now listen, we, we have a holiday on Thursday. We have that holiday on the fourth Thursday of every year. But this should be the pattern of everyday life for a Christian. That we never go through a day without stopping to reflect and to praise God. Now, in verse number five, he begins to tell us why again. And this really, verse number five, is the message this morning. Uh, and so if you would, and if you're following along in your outline here, uh, we'll get into the body of the message here. And number one this morning, we see that we should be thankful for God's goodness. Notice in verse five, for the Lord is good. I was out yesterday uh, with a group of our folks and we were canvassing a neighborhood and uh, and I got everybody dropped off in the van and uh, and we had long enough stretches. I was able to get out and do a couple of streets. And about the third house that I walked up to, there was a guy out loading his car, getting ready to go, presumably out of town. It looked like he was headed out of town. Uh, and he looked shocked whenever I walked up and I just introduced myself and said, my name is David Cripps. I'm the pastor at Victory Baptist Church. And uh, we've got this event. And I told him a little bit about Christmas at Victory. Uh, I didn't want to get bogged down and take too much of his time. He obviously was in a little bit of a hurry. Uh, and so I tried to be respectful, but yet at the same time, let them know, hey, we would love to see you come. We, we would love to have you come and be a part of, uh, of this event on one of these three Sundays or any service time. Uh, we'd really love to see you. And, uh, and, and he looked at me kind of surprised and, and he thanked me. And then I began to walk away and he said, you know, God is good. God is good. Uh, and so when you stop and you realize the fact that we, we ought to be thankful for the fact that God is good. Now, God being good... Understand, we, we cannot truly appreciate the goodness of God if we evaluate God by our definition of what good is. Now, I'm not going to get into a big definition here except to say this. That God, being true to he, his word and all that he is, is goodness. We, we want to think that goodness is somebody giving me what I want. Somebody solving all of my problems. Uh, someone, uh, you know, the, the, somebody being my my personal uh, genie that's been unleashed from a bottle or my personal Santa Claus throughout the year. That's not goodness. Goodness is doing what's necessary to shape and mold my life into a productive, fruit-producing servant of God. Whenever we have our children, our children are small. When they need discipline and we discipline them, that's goodness. To not discipline them is hatred. It's not just negligence. It is setting them up in life for failure. And then being confused as to how they ended up that way when they reach adulthood. Uh, God is good. Because God does everything necessary. To bring us to himself. To shape us into his image to protect and to govern and to guide our lives so that we become fruit-producing Christians that are making an impact in light of eternity. That is goodness. 
for God is good. Now, just three thoughts about the goodness of God. And we're going to look at several verses here this morning. I think only once we are going to venture out of the Psalms. And so uh, if you would, and, and we'll move here quickly, but in Psalm 31, uh, in verse number 19, uh, we see here, and in some of these Psalms, uh, there is problems. There are problems that are taking place, and there is stressful events that are happening, not necessarily in all of them, but in some. But notice in Psalm 31, in verse 19, that David says, Oh, how great is thy goodness, which thou hast laid up for them that fear thee, which thou hast wrought for them that trust in thee before the sons of men. God and his goodness. But there's a requirement to that, uh, that if we fear him, that if we are walking with him, that if we are recognizing him uh, for who he is, then we experience uh, the good things and the blessed things that God uh, has laid up in store for us. Notice Psalm 145. In the first nine verses here, he says this, I will extol thee, my God, O King, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Listen this morning, that we understand the greatness of God's goodness. God's goodness is not limited to just simply an act of kindness, but God's goodness is an act of working in our hearts and in our lives and doing what's necessary to bring us to spiritual maturity so that we can bring honor and glory that's due to his name. Secondly, we see here uh, not only the greatness of his goodness, but the endurance of his goodness. I'm glad that the goodness of God is not a fleeting thing. It's not temperamental. It's not here today and gone tomorrow. It's not inconsistent. Uh, God is consistent. We all have people in our lives that we have to deal with and that we get around. And sometimes even in our own selves uh, that are inconsistent in our demeanor. Uh, one day uh, you get around someone and they're depressed. The next day they're happy. One day they're cranky. One day they're uh, they're just super moody and they're just persistent in their personality. We have to deal with all of those things from our own and uh, our own growth, and then in the people that God brings in our life. But not with God. God's always the same. God's always consistent. God's goodness is unchanging. It is not. Uh, it is not temperamental and moody it is enduring it doesn't get tired it doesn't run out of energy it is something that is awe-inspiring that we can cling to david in psalm 52 in verse 1 uh, begins to uh, in verses 1 and 2 begins or verse 1 tell, begins to tell the story now the context of psalm 52 is david uh, dealing with the aftermath of doeg going to saul about him being with Ahimelech and getting goliath's sword and then when doeg tells him saul sends people to kill all of those priests and david is not there to defend them and he's having to bear uh, the the burden of that and he says why boastest thou thyself in mischief Speaking to Doeg, O mighty man, 
the goodness of God endureth continually. He's saying in spite of your wickedness, Doeg, in spite of uh, your viciousness, in spite of your self-service, in spite of this tragedy, God's goodness endures. It might not be on the surface right now, but it's going to rise up. It's going to come forth. Why? Because God is good and we see the endurance of his goodness. It is not uh, a goodness that that cannot overcome uh, the hardships and the difficulties of life. Thirdly, we see the sufficiency of his goodness. In Psalm 144, uh, verse number 2, in the 144th Psalm and verse number 2, as we look here, he says this. Uh, he says, let's back up to verse 1. Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. My goodness and my fortress, my high tower and my deliverer, my shield and he in whom I trust, who subdueth my people under me. And so here again, the psalmist writes and he's got battles to fight. And he's under duress. And he is under attack. And he stops and he says, I've got to face all of these things, but God, you are good. God, your goodness is my fortress. God, you are my fortress. You're my high tower. You're the one who will deliver me. And he explains and describes that God's goodness is sufficient to the, the challenge that lies before him. I'm just saying this morning, as we uh, look at this thought and we examine uh, uh, the thankfulness that we should have to God, that God is good. That God is good, the, that his goodness is great. That his goodness will endure. And that his goodness is sufficient to overcome everything in our life. To bring us to where he wants us to be. One of the things that <coughs> I'm struck by when you get around any uh, prison ministry workers and you get around any prisoners at all. If you've ever been into uh, if you've ever been into a prison to minister to worship uh, and, and it's just it does, I don't think it really even matters where you go. At least in my limited experience there, it hasn't. Uh, the, somebody will walk in and, some, and they'll shout out, God is good. You know, the response is in unison from everybody in the room all the time. God's always good. God's goodness is great. God's goodness is awe-inspiring. God's goodness will endure uh, any circumstance. And God's goodness is sufficient to get me where God wants me to be. We praise Him. We give thanks to Him for His goodness. Secondly, uh, we want to show thankfulness for God's mercy. Notice again in verse number 5, Psalm 100. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting. And we see the mercy of God. And God's mercy, and the thing about mercy is that mercy can only be shown to someone who's guilty. I can't show mercy to someone that hasn't committed a crime. God cannot show mercy to us except for the crimes that we've committed. So, Pastor, I'm no criminal. Oh, yes, you are. We all are. We were born criminals. So, Pastor, how could I in my innocency uh, of an infanthood uh, be a criminal? Because it's the position into which we were born. We were born with a sinful nature outside of Christ. And, uh, and we are born in need of a Savior. We are born uh, with all of the, uh, the things that grow within us that are anti what God wants us to be. That's why parents are so important. That's why child teaching, training, rearing uh, is so important. Because we have to teach 
how God is good. We have to teach what sin is. We have to teach what goodness is. We have to teach what righteousness is. We need to teach uh, what morality is. We need to teach all of these things to our children. And so when we talk about the mercy of God, we have to stop and and realize that I am in need of God's mercy because I have committed crimes against God. I have broken his law. I have reared up in my own pride, in my own selfish ambition. I've raised up with a haughty spirit in my and uh, seeking after the satisfaction of the things of my own flesh. I have committed crimes against the word of God, against the law of God. I need a merciful God. And if I don't understand that I need God's mercy, I'll never appreciate God's mercy. And when you get right down to it, uh, if I don't understand that I need God's goodness, if I don't understand that I need His mercy, if I don't understand that I need His truth, then I'll never truly appreciate those things that God commands me to praise Him and to be thankful for. Thankful for His mercy. Three thoughts here. First, we want to notice the availability of His mercy. I'm glad that something that I need so much of is not hard to come by. You know, it's often, uh, and <coughs> if you haven't bought all the things that you need uh, for Thursday, good luck. Uh, I'm, I'm there, there's going to be some things. We've been there before. We haven't done it in a few years now, but uh, are getting caught that way. But I mean, just some little simple thing like a can of a particular soup to go in a dressing or a, uh, some particular kind of a spice to go into this dish or that dish. And, uh, and, uh, and Sonia thought she had it. She was sure she had it. And then we get digging and we can't find it. And so I get sent to the store and uh, I go there and, and lo and behold, the one thing that she, I mean, everything else is stocked to the hilt. But the one thing that she needed is nowhere to be found. This is the way it's going to be. Uh, and listen, that, that's the, I'm, I'm glad that God's mercy is not like that. Amen. I, I'm glad that God's mercy is abundant. It's readily available. And I want you to notice, first of all, in talking about God's mercy, the availability of His mercy. Notice in, uh, in Psalm 5, in verse number 7, He says, But as for me... I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy. The multitude of thy mercy. And in thy fear will I worship toward the holy temple. I'm coming, God, to worship because I know that even in my sin, that the multitude of your mercy will lead me to you, will bring me forgiveness will give me what I need. Psalm uh, 26 and, uh, and, or excuse me, Psalm 23 rather, uh, in the great shepherd Psalm. And, uh, and we've alluded to him being our shepherd. We're the sheep of his pasture. But notice in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to be thankful for that. I want to express gratitude to God for that. I want to be able to sing praise to my Savior for the fact that His mercy is available. And it's not hard to find. It's following after me. It's almost as if God looks at me and He says, You know what, son, I love you, but I know that you're going to mess up. No matter how sincere you think that you are, no matter how much you think you've got it figured out, no matter how hard you work at it, you think that you've got this. But I know that you don't. And so go ahead. Mercy. Follow after him. 
Mercy, you need to go where he goes because he's going to need you. Mercy, he thinks that he's got this, but he doesn't. And he thinks he knows all the answers, but he doesn't. And and he thinks that uh, without you, he can stay on track, but he can't. So just follow him. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And I'm grateful this morning the fact that God didn't just leave me out there and say, okay, uh, youth, and that's the way that we operate. I mean, a lot of times we, somebody comes to us with that kind of an attitude and spirit, like, okay, big boy, you think you got this figured out? Go ahead. And then whenever, uh, whenever it unravels and falls apart, we just sit back and fold our arms and say, I tried to tell you. Hey, every father's probably been guilty of that at some point or another, but not our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father sent goodness and mercy after us. Our, our Heavenly Father's not sitting in the back waiting to say, I told you so. Should listen to me. Our Heavenly Father's sitting back saying, Here's some goodness. Here's some mercy. Let me love you. Let me encourage you. Let me protect you. Let me pick you back up. Let me bring you back home if we'll surrender to Him and come. The availability of his mercy, it's following after me. Secondly, consider the security of his mercy. The security of his mercy. I'm I'm glad that knowing that God is merciful, and I'm not talking about having the spirit where we go out and just take it for granted or take it and and live presumptuously expecting God uh, to do. But the reality is that I know that God's mercy is available to me. Notice in Psalm 13 and verse number 5, he says, But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. This again, a psalm of David. And notice back in verse 1, he says, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord, forever? How long will thou hide thy face from me? He feels disconnected. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Uh, Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Let mine enemy say, I have prevailed against him, and those that have troubled me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. David on the run, Saul on his heels. It seems like no matter where he goes or what he does, Saul pops up. Surely uh, that his days are numbered. Surely he is going to be slain uh, by the king. But David says, though he feels the pressure of all this, but I'm trusting in your mercy. I'm trusting in your salvation. And listen, when we are going through life, we need to realize that we have great security in the mercy of our God. Our salvation puts us in his hand and under his care, and we are the sheep of his pasture. And we need to be grateful this morning that his mercy gives us the peace of heart, the peace of mind of knowing that God is caring for me. Thankful for his mercy. It's available. It gives security. Thirdly, we see that it, 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 we see the faithfulness of his mercy. The faithfulness of his mercy in Lamentations chapter 3. Jeremiah has been preaching. Jeremiah has not had one person listen to the message from God that he shared. Jeremiah stands and watches as the city of Jerusalem is destroyed by Babylon. While his countrymen are carried off in the captivity. He's sitting here looking at the ruins of this city. There's no hope that anyone's going to come in and deliver them from Babylon. 
Jeremiah knows that that's not going to happen because God's already prophesied that if they will not repent, then this destruction is coming. But notice as Jeremiah laments the destruction of Jerusalem and the misery of his people and the death of his countrymen uh, and those that are carried away captive. In verse number, in, in Lamentations 3, beginning in verse number 20, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to mind, therefore have I hope. In a hopeless situation, Jeremiah finds hope in God. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in Him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for Him, to the soul that seeketh Him. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah, in a hopeless situation, with his people being slain and carried into captivity around him, looks and says, God, I have not been consumed because of your mercy because of your compassion and I'll be blessed and I'll have hope because of your goodness as I wait for you in the midst of this difficulty and put my trust in the salvation of the Lord. Listen, we need to be grateful this morning, thanking God for his goodness, thanking God for his mercy, a mercy that is available, a mercy that brings me security, a mercy that is faithful that never grows weary, a mercy that is renewed daily by the power of God. So we see this morning that as we come before Him and make a joyful noise unto Him, that we make a joyful noise expressing thanks for God's goodness and expressing thanks for God's mercy. May we also realize that we must be thank thankful for God's truth, for His truth. Notice verse 5, For the Lord is good, His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. His truth, it's not going anywhere. Uh, people have tried to discredit it, to rewrite it, to burn it, destroy it for hundreds of years, for millennia. But it's still there. And I would say this about God's truth, and we could, we, we could never even begin to exhaust this subject but we see this morning and just consider a few thoughts from some of the other Psalms this morning about the Word of God, that God's truth is good for guidance. God's truth is good for guidance. Notice Psalm 25 and verses 4 and 5. Uh, Show me thy ways, O Lord, teach me thy paths, lead me in thy truth. And teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation on thee do I wait all the day. In verses 9 and verse 10 of Psalm 25, he says, The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. God's truth. Listen, we live in a time where everybody has their own truth. We live in a time when everybody wants to step back and just evaluate and you just do whatever is truth to you and everything's going to work out in the end. But the reality is, is there's only one truth. 
There's only one real truth. God's word is the absolute truth. The world hates the thought of absolute truth. It despises the thought of absolute truth. But the reality is that there's only one truth, and it's God. God's truth is good for guidance. I can trust it. I can cling to it. I can, I can put my faith and confidence in it. Why? Because it's not going to be different tomorrow. It's the same now as it was before the earth was even created. It's the same now as it'll be billions of years in eternity future from now. God's word has not, nor can it, nor will it ever change. And therefore I can trust it for guidance. I, I like maps. I like to, to even if I'm going to go on a long road trip and I'll use my phone some, but, but for the most part, I like a nice big atlas. Uh, they're getting harder to find, but I'll, I'll generally every couple of years, I'll pick one up just because I, I, I seem kind of a weirdo that way. I like to look at them. I like to look at what's close by. I like to kind of plot my course and uh, know where I'm going. And I don't necessarily need to look at it a lot when I'm on the trip. But before I go, I'm uh, I'm kind of studying over that map. I just uh, I I like it. I, I like to know what's up and coming and uh, and how it's going to be. Uh, how I'm going to lay out my course and uh, and all of those things. But the funny thing about an atlas is, is that every year or so you got to get another one because they're always changing. This road's closed and this road's been reconstructed or this road that was under construction has been opened or this one that's been opened has been shut down. And, uh, and, and they're really, uh, if something unexpected happens, they're not all that reliable. Just ask anybody that was traveling across I-10 uh, whenever the barges broke loose and, and hit the San Jack Bridge. I remember one year we were driving back from taking one of the kids or picking one of them up from uh, college and we're driving across southern Arizona on I-10 and and we get uh, past Tucson, and we're getting close to the New Mexico state line. And uh, and uh, when you're not in New Mexico real long, that meant that we're almost El Paso, which is about the halfway point uh, from from out in the L.A. area to to Houston. And uh, and so we're about rejoicing. And then, but man, the sand is just blowing everywhere, and the dust is getting worse and worse. And then all of a sudden, traffic stopped, backed up. They've got the entire interstate shut down because of sand. There's so much sand from a sand. We had to go up and around in this two-lane road. It took us three hours to make 50 miles. Couldn't tell that from that map. But God's map is always right. God's map is always up to date. God's map is like that, it's like that Google map that just tells you, okay, traffic's heavy right here for the next 30 minutes. It's always on point. Am I paying attention to it? Am I studying it? Am I trusting in it? Am I listening to it? It's not going to send me down the wrong way. And listen, I understand, you know, GPS is a great thing if you're in civilization, but when you get out a little bit, it's not all that reliable. I remember one year uh, we're waiting for my wife and someone, another lady on our staff to show up for, I don't remember what they were showing up for. And, uh, and I mean, they're late and they're not getting there and it seems like it's going on forever. And they've gotten to their GPS has taken them down some weird the, the gravel road out in the middle of nowhere. They couldn't even find a place to turn around. Now, I don't remember how or when they finally got there, but they were pretty shook up when they got there because they just put their confidence in uh, a, a, a technology that didn't keep up. God's got all the technology he needs to keep up with everything. He knows everything that's going on. 
God's truth is good for guidance. God's truth is enduring. Notice Psalm 100 and verse 5. His truth endureth to all generations. It's not going anywhere. It's reliable. And then notice God's truth is absolute. God's truth is absolute. We could preach series of sermons on this one thought this morning. Psalm 119 and verse number 142. He says, Thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law is the truth. The truth. It is absolute. Psalm 146 and verses 5 and 6 we see that he says this, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever. Truth is not just truth. It's kept. It's guarded by God. He's vigilant. He's never weary of making sure that what he has said comes to pass. So we see this morning that we must be and should be as God's people thankful. Thankful for his goodness. Thankful for his mercy. Thankful for his truth. And I would say this this morning as we kind of wrap up. We have more things to thank God for than we can offer in our lifetimes. If we stopped right now and never took a break and to our dying breath praised God, we could not praise God enough for everything that he's done. That is so true that God has made arrangement for us to have eternal life, to be in his presence. Guess what we're going to do for eternity? We're going to sit there in fellowship with our God and we're going to rejoice and we're going to give thanks for his goodness and for his mercy and for his truth. We might as well start practicing now because God is good. Let's pray.